Good to be here. Good to be here with you. Yeah, this is this is something you have never seen before. Doug and I are team teaching. We've never done this 15 years, so this is good. High time. In fact, I've I've been told that we're going to do this every 15 years. Okay. If it if it goes well, I'm so, for that. Yeah, yeah. I'm up. All right. Um, so if you've been around, you know that we uh, we started this series last week on questions. <laughs> And uh, it's been great. We've been having fun with this. We took the month of May and we, we asked you to give us some questions. And you did. You got like 130 of them, a bunch. So we're going to do our best here to respond as many as we can over these four weeks. This is the second out of the four. Um, some have asked me, why are we doing this? Why are we taking Sunday mornings to answer questions or respond to questions? Well, we believe that it's more than okay to ask questions. Jesus welcomed questions. Jesus oftentimes answered questions with questions and helped people to dig underneath the questions to find out what was really going on, what they were really wondering about, what the deeper issues were. So we want to be that kind of a church. Uh, we believe good, honest questions are a sign of seeking God. Um, we believe that there are some simple questions, simple answers to questions. We believe there are some that don't have real simple answers. But we also believe that there are some questions that don't have answers. Yep. And uh, actually, the older I get, the more comfortable I'm becoming with, uh, with God's mystery and many of those unanswered questions and learning more and more just to trust God with how these things are going to work themselves out in the end. Um, so... We're excited about this. We're excited about, about this morning. Yeah, we are. So what we did was we sort of grouped all the questions together kind of topically and then assigned them to teachers. So uh, Doug and I were assigned uh, questions dealing with death and dying and what happens after we die, those kinds of questions. Uh, and we've kind of joked about it. We were known as the two who are going to be doing death day, which sounded real appealing to people. Uh, but we realize it's a, it's a serious topic. You know, even just in this last week or so, we've had at least a couple families at Orchard who have lost family members who have died. Um, you know, it's something that's on all of our minds. You know, as, as we get older, it'd be, I, I've gotten so I check the obituaries every day in the paper, you know, just to see if I'm there, you know. And <laughs> so we're th- thinking about those issues. So, so we think it's worth talking about, and so we want to mm-hmm. jump into it today. Yeah. And um, we're going to actually start um, right with some foundational truths that I think we all would agree on. And, and that is that we do believe in life after death. We believe that God created us in such a way that there is a, a physical, material part of us, our bodies, our physical body, but that God also gave each of us a spiritual part of us. The Bible sometimes calls it the spirit or the soul. I personally think those words are used kind of interchangeably. Um, in fact, if you go back to the beginning, by the way, we're going to um, just reference a lot of Bible verses. You probably wouldn't have time to uh, to look them up, but I think they'll be on the screen. You might want to just jot down the reference. I've got them um, paper clipped here in my Bible so that you'll think I'm finding them fast. Um, first one from Genesis, from the account of God creating Adam. And listen to what he, it says. It says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. That word breathed is the same word for spirit, that God gave Adam and Eve a spiritual side. In fact, I think that's part of what it means for us to be created in the image of God. 
And so when the Bible talks about us as complete people, it doesn't just talk about our physical body. First Thessalonians 5 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And your whole spirit, soul, and body, that's you in your totality. So we believe that God created us with a spiritual part of us. Our physical bodies die, but the spiritual part of us continues to live. Now, that being said, there are a lot of misconceptions, I think, or some major ones about what happens to that spirit after we die. And I want to uh, address a couple of those really quickly. Um, One of them is the idea of reincarnation. That that's a big part of a lot of Eastern religions, the idea that when your body dies, your spirit then goes to inhabit a new body of a person or an animal or something like that. That is just really contrary to everything that the Bible teaches about this process by which we, uh, we die and what happens to us afterward. In fact, a verse that's often quoted in this regard is Hebrews chapter 9. It says, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So we believe when a person dies, they don't become some other kind of being. Um, secondly, we, we don't believe in what's sometimes called soul sleep. There are some Christian groups who believe that when you die, your spirit just becomes like asleep, unconscious, and that you exist in that state until the second coming of Christ or the end of the world. And another idea that's presented sometimes that we would um, not agree with also is the idea that there's some kind of intermediate state like purgatory or um, Sheol or... um, other things like that. We don't believe that you go to some intermediate state where you're kept until either you're ready to go to heaven or until the second coming of Christ. So that being said, then we've wiped out some of those misconceptions. What does happen to us then? That's the question. And we believe that the Bible is pretty clear that when we die, either our souls go to heaven immediately to be with God or our souls are immediately separated from God and go to that place that the Bible calls hell. So Jesus can talk to the thief on the cross and say, you know, today you will be with me in paradise. Paul talked about the kind of dilemma that he faced with those two options because he would say, you know, one option is to stay alive and live in my body and serve the Lord, and the other option is to go to heaven to be with Christ. And he wasn't sure which he would choose. Let me just read you a couple of places where he talks about that. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to be to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So those are the options, to depart and be with Christ or remain in the body. Again, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, as long as we're alive here on earth, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body And at home with the Lord. So those are the options, you know, to be alive here on earth or when we die, if we are Christians, then to be with the Lord. So we believe as soon as a person dies, their spirit goes into a new existence, either with God or separated from God.
Let me just say one other thing, because I sometimes get questions about cremation. As we think about the resurrection of the body, and we'll be talking about this a little later on, people wonder, is it blasphemous or wrong for a Christian to be cremated? And my thinking on that is that, let's say Jesus doesn't come again. The end of the world doesn't happen for a thousand years. Whether you're cremated or whether you're buried in the barn, in the barn, did I say that? Buried in the barn? I come this four I, times. I, I, I haven't heard the barn no, part yet. Well, that's, that's one option. <laughs> Regardless of what happens to our bodies when we die, you know, a thousand years from Christ, they're all going to have, you know, returned to the dust, right? So we don't think it's going to be the molecules that make up our body now that are going to be resurrected. God is somehow going to give us a resurrected body, but I don't think it's at all blasphemous or unchristian to be cremated. In fact, Sally and I have decided that, that we are going to be cremated when we die. So that's uh, kind of the basics of what we sort of don't believe happens when we die and kind of what we do believe happens when we die. Yeah. Um, so, uh, a physical body, uh, spiritual part. Part. Um, we're much, very much aware of the physical world around us, but then there's also what the Bible talks about is spiritual realm. We had some questions about, yeah. about that. Yeah, like about angels and, yeah. and things. Um, so, we do believe that God not only created a physical universe inhabited by us, but that God created a spiritual world as well. And sometimes in um, some kind of really interesting ways, the Bible talks about some of these beings that inhabit this spiritual realm. Like in Isaiah chapter 6, when I, Isaiah has this vision, and, and there are these seraphim, each having six wings, remember? And they're all crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So there are seraphs, there are cherubs. The Bible talks about, and there are angels, and all of these are types of spiritual beings that have been created by God to worship and to serve Him. And we don't become one of those kinds of beings when we die. I sometimes hear people at the time of a death say to a, a grieving person, well, God must have needed another angel yeah. in heaven. Yeah. And you've probably heard that, maybe have said it. It can be comforting to a family, but it's not true. It's bad theology. When we die, we don't become angels. Angels are spiritual beings. They seem to exist eternally. We don't become angels. So there are these two types of spiritual beings that are existing. These ones like angels and seraphs and all those kinds of amazing beings. And then there are the spirits of, of humans who have died and they are different and the one doesn't become the other. Right, right. Speaking of demons. Right, speak right. Of demons. So some, some questions about that as well that we should probably yeah. talk about. We're going to talk about angels. Let's also talk about demons. I also often see two extremes um, when, when people think about evil spiritual forces. Either, either there's a lot of disbelief about this or a great deal of hypersensitivity mm-hmm. um, about about demons and and the devil it said that 69 percent of people today do not believe in the devil or in his demons that they exist as real as a real presence or force um i i think there's a lot of evidence in scripture and even in the teachings of jesus that mm-hmm. support the existence of the devil and of demons and if we don't believe 
that this is true, I think it opens us up to the attack of, of the evil one. Yeah. John 10, verse 10. Jesus says that Satan's role is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You put yourself in danger by disbelieving. But you shouldn't be hypersensitive either uh, and see demons behind every bad thing that happens. Demon of halitosis, you know, those kinds of things. Um, sometimes bad stuff just happens because we live in a, in a fallen world. And as a consequence of mistakes and the sin that we make. Um, but we need to live in balance. We need to be aware of Satan and his ability to deceive and tempt us. But we shouldn't, we shouldn't live with fear. Uh, we shouldn't cause, allow that to cause us to be afraid. Second Timothy 1 verse 7 says that we can live with confidence and not with fear. Why? Because the power of God lives within those who claim Christ as their Lord and Savior. So what are demons? The Bible tells us in Ezekiel that they are spiritual beings that were created by God and at one time were angels. There was one angel named Lucifer that was more beautiful than all the rest, it says, and he became proud. He wanted to be, be like God, but because of his rebellion, he was cast out of heaven and along with him went, went many angels. Revelation 12 talks about this, this spiritual battle that has been going on since then in the spiritual realm between these forces of, of evil and the forces of good that are on God's side. So simply put, demons are fallen angels that oppose the work of God. And the Bible tells us that Satan cannot win. Matthew 25 says that he's already lost. And that he's been condemned by God for, for eternity. So why in the world would he still be fighting? Well, he's fighting for you and me. He wants to drag as many of us away from God as possible. And he does it by, by lying to us about God's truth and about God's love. And by tempting us in those areas where we are most vulnerable. But the good news is that if we live in Christ... Satan cannot outsmart us. If we follow Jesus, claim his grace, we're aware of Satan's lies and temptations. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians that the devil will not outwit us. So we also had some questions about, um, about the last days and about end times. When will Jesus come again? Um, I'm oftentimes surprised how many people spend so much time trying to discover the answer to questions like that. And the reason why is because I think the answer is clear. We don't know. December 2012? No. No. The Bible is clear. Jesus is so clear. He says himself in Luke 12, verse 40, The Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So whenever I hear somebody say that they know when it's going to happen, they know how it's going to happen, I, I always think, no, you don't. <laughs> so I personally, I choose, not, not that it's a bad thing necessarily, but I, I choose not to spend much time thinking about this. 
I think Jesus' challenge instead is, is, instead of focusing on the end of time, is instead to focus on how we're using our time today. But we do know that Jesus is going to come again. We do know that. Yep. And when he does, the Bible teaches us that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Second Peter 3 verse 13 talks about how we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, first verse says, John says in his vision, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first ones had passed away. So God is going to create something new. And actually, he is already at work creating something new out of something that was broken, restoring this earth to bring in the new heaven and the new earth and all of its fullness someday. You know, when we, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, what do we say? Thy kingdom, kingdom come. come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This new heaven coming to earth. This prayer is not only about the future, but it's, it's about right now, about that kingdom coming already today. And someday that'll come in, in all of its fullness place where we can be for all eternity yeah amazing amazing yeah amazing one of the things that i think though frightens people about those events is that the bible talks about judgment Mm -hmm. uh, quite a bit and we wonder if we're going to somehow be judged uh, when we die and the bible does talk about that kind of thing and i think uh, one of the things that that doug and i have hoped would we'd be able to do today is encourage you uh, that if you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you don't need to fear judgment. In fact, I, I want to read just one verse that's an underliner in your Bible. It's Romans 8, chapter 1. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Get it? If you're in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. The Bible says that those who are in Christ have already passed from death into life. So is there going to be judgment at at the end? Yeah, here's here's the way I understand it. That when we die, if... If your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, if you are not a follower of Jesus, then your soul goes to hell. If you are a part of God's family, your soul goes to heaven. So in a sense, that judgment is made by God, and you end up going one of those places. But that decision rests upon your relationship with Christ today. And so you don't need to fear that, that that judgment is going to affect you and your eternal destiny. Um, so there is going to come a time, though, at the end of time, when God is going to sort of officially and legally pronounce judgment. Um, like the story of, of Jesus separating the sheep from the goats, that there is going to come that time. I think of it kind of like this. When you're watching uh, like the coverage of a, of a famous person who's on trial, and the, and the jury comes back and they, and they find the defendant guilty, and then the judge will say, and I never quite understood why, he'll say, all right, you know, three weeks from today I'll pronounce sentence. And it seems like it's kind of that way in our relationship with Christ. That, you know, the jury has already spoken. You know, if your name is not in the Lamb's Book of Life, you are in heaven or you are in hell. But that there's going to come a time at the end where God is going to officially pronounce judgment. And everyone will recognize the the rightness of God's judgment. And no one will be able to question the decision that God has made and where people end up spending eternity. 
It also seems, though, as if there is sort of another judgment. Because the, the New Testament talks about like the judgment seat of Christ, or it talks about the great white throne judgment. That there is going to come a time when God is going to kind of evaluate our lives, even for us as Christians. And I, I, I picture that kind of informally almost. As God helps us to see our life. And, and at that point, you know, Jesus saying, well done, you know, good and faithful servant. And the Bible talks about the fact that Christians will be rewarded that in some sense for how we have lived our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, that there are going to be rewards associated with that. And uh, what kind of rewards those are going to be, I don't know. I think they're going to be rewards that fit us and who we are. So the reward that you might get, Doug, might be very different than, than what I would get. I'm Hoping on White Castle hamburgers, you're probably not <laughs> not looking that direction uh, for your eternal rewards. Uh, and some of you are thinking that would be hell. <laughs> but we don't need to fear judgment. That's the main point I want to make. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have trusted in Jesus' death on the cross, you know, in payment for your sin, you don't need to be afraid. And we don't know all the details of how it's going to take place, but you don't need to be afraid. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we had some questions about, about heaven and hell. It seems like most people today believe in, in heaven. They believe they're going to go there. They just don't want to go today. Uh, heaven exists, as we've been saying. Uh, Jesus believed it. Jesus taught about it. Author John Eldridge wrote this. Nearly every Christian I talk to thinks that heaven's a never-ending church service in the sky. And our hearts sink. I mean, seriously, who wants that? (laughs) Remember what we said. We said that when Jesus comes again, he's going to usher in this new heaven and this new earth. Matthew 5, Jesus said that those who follow him will inherit the earth. Revelation chapter 5 talks about how part of our eternal existence will include reigning over and experiencing this restored earth. It's, it's not going to be just clouds in the sky. I can, I can just almost picture that would be hell, this boring church service that just went on forever. <laughs> Sorry. But it's going to be, it's going to be like, I mean, like, not like this. All the time, but it's going to be like everything. It's going to be like, like life as we know it, but at its absolute best as God originally intended it to be. Randy Elkhorn wrote this great book about heaven that I'd recommend. And he writes, the best of life on earth is a glimpse of heaven and the worst of life on earth is a glimpse of hell. Right now, our present earth is an in-between world touched by both heaven and earth or heaven and hell. Um, so even now, we can get glimpses of this heaven. A sunset. Standing in the middle of a, a mountain range. Uh, that, that, that smell and that feel of uh, a summer thunderstorm that's just moved through. Uh, friendships. Family that just bring you joy and peace and comfort. Life at its very, very best 
is a glimpse, just a tiny glimpse of what eternity will bring us when God's kingdom comes in all of its fullness. First Corinthians 2 verse 9, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven is going to be an amazing place. And we are going to want to be there. So some questions about heaven. Are we going to know each other? I think we will. I do too. I do. Think about Jesus when he was resurrected. People who knew him still knew him. They, maybe they didn't recognize him, all of them, right away because there was something really different about him. But when they did, they knew who he was. They knew that this was Jesus. And I think the same thing will happen with us when we receive our resurrected bodies mm-hmm. after that, that judgment that we were imagining, that we were talking about. Are we going to be young? Are we going to have hair? Are we going to be able to run and jump and sing and dance and all that kind of stuff? I, I don't know, but I just know it's going to be the very best of living. And then some. It's going to be amazing. And we are going to want to be there. Okay, here's a good one. Will there be marriage in heaven? Uh, here's what Jesus said. Luke 20, verse 35. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Now, I'm going to be honest. I really have mixed feelings about this one. Uh, because I like being married. I believe, like I said, that we're going to know each other in this eternal life with God. But the need for marriage is going to disappear seems is what Jesus is saying. And I know that raises a ton of questions, even for me. Um, but I, I just want to believe that the level of intimacy and joy that we're going to experience with God and with each other is going to be so amazing, so, so great, that, that marriage and what it means for us here on earth, even at its very, very best, will not be missed in heaven. Heaven will be better than the very best that marriage brings us now. And if that's true, we don't want to miss it. So what do, what do we know about hell? Well, one of the things I, I noticed for the first time at the 830 service was nobody asked if there's marriage in hell. Did you notice that? <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Okay, I'm not touching that. (laughs) Three things. Number one, hell is real. Lots of conversations in the in the larger church recently uh, about hell and what's it going to be like and all that kind of stuff. And there's always been lots of conversations yeah. over history, yeah. and there always probably will trying to figure this this all out. And, and that's okay. I mean, lots of people have good good opinions. But simply put, I think that the Bible <laughs> describes hell as real. Secondly, or well, there's a story actually that uh, that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 16 about this rich man and. He, uh, he rejects God, and he also turns his back on this poor beggar that's lying at his gate every day named Lazarus. They both die. Lazarus goes to be with God. The rich man doesn't. He goes to a place that Jesus says, calls Hades. 
And people argue, is this, is this literal? Is this really how things happen? Or is this a story? Is this a parable? Um, not going to argue about that. But, but I think there's a lot of truth that everybody can agree on that points to hell as a real existence. People will be aware of it. And it's going to be horrible. Number two, hell is eternal. Matthew 25, that Ed was talking about this day of judgment. God says to the wicked, depart from me. They're sent to a a place of eternal punishment. It's forever. And then the third thing, hell is a place of separation from God. And this is probably the most important thing to understand and the worst punishment of all. 2 Thessalonians 1, Paul says, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. Separation from God means being cut off from His His glory, everything that's good, everything that's beautiful, everything that's wonderful, and being exposed with just what's left. All the bad stuff, all the horrible stuff, all the evil stuff. About a week and a half ago, I I, uh, said goodbye to our our daughter um, who left for Pittsburgh. Um, She's been living with us for about the last six months or so. And... uh, She's off to become a Steelers fan now for the next four years. And uh, I've really gotten used to her being around. And, and I, I miss her. I really do. Already. And it was, it was tough to say goodbye. Um, there's this moment the night before she left. We were sitting on the couch together and just kind of put my arm around her. And we both started crying, you know. It might surprise some of you that know me. And, um, you know, I don't know when I'm going to see her again. It might be three months from now. It might not be until Christmas time. I, I don't know. Um, and I can't imagine what it would have been like if I would have had to have said goodbye to her knowing that I would never see her again and be separated from her forever. That would have been horrible. would have been agony. Eternal separation from God and from loved ones who are in Christ, from God's family, is a kind of hell that no one should have to experience. So it leads to the last two questions. First, how can a loving God send people to hell? My answer, God doesn't. Second Peter 3, verse 9, it says God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God wishes that everyone would choose to be in a relationship with Him and would trust Him to save them for eternity. But if somebody rejects God and the faith, if they, they turn their back on the truth and, and, uh, and even the glimpses of God that they've seen around them and, and they know that someday that they're going to die, but they still don't choose God's way, but instead choose to live their own way, then there's nothing that God can do but to honor that person's choice forever. Revelation 3.20, God says, Here I am, I stand at the door and I knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and him with me. God stands at the door of our hearts. He pursues this relationship with us, but if we ignore him, he's not going to force his way into our lives. God doesn't send anyone to hell. People make that choice on their own. 
Okay, finally. What about my grandmother or my dad or my good friend who died and, and just then it seemed to ever put their faith in Christ? Are they going to be separated from God for all eternity? I want to be really careful with this answer. None of us can be the final judge on a matter like this. Only God knows what's in our hearts. Romans 10 verse 13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Thief on the cross mm-hmm. that Ed mentioned before. His dying breath called to Jesus. And Jesus saved him. I believe that there's, there are people who in their dying moment are suddenly confronted with the truth in a way that they'd never thought of before. And, and they call on the name of the Lord. Maybe unknown to anybody that's standing around their bedside. And Jesus hears. And they're saved. Now, I wouldn't recommend waiting that long. <laughs> but I believe that Jesus has mercy on all who call on him. Yeah. So, a lot more we could say. A lot of stuff that we don't know about the afterlife, but there's some things we do know. For instance, 100% of us in this room will someday die. I know that. And every one of us will spend eternity either with God or apart from Him. Mm -hmm. And we also know that you can know now that you will live forever with God and His people in this fully restored heaven on earth. But... But you have to choose it. You have to choose to put your faith in Jesus and to follow him. Nobody can make that choice for you. Where you choose to spend eternity is the most important choice that you can make. And to delay that choice is a foolish risk. Someone once said that you are not ready to live until you are ready to die. And you are not ready to die until you know that you've put your faith in Jesus. Yeah. So the deep prayer of our hearts is that all of you would know that. And um, if you have questions about how, you know, how you can be sure about your eternity, uh, talk to one of our staff. And, uh, and maybe it's just something that you know you need to do. You've heard Jesus knocking at the door, and you need to uh, open it and confess your sin and ask for his forgiveness. And so um, let's pray. seems like in so many areas, Lord, we wish we had more answers. We wish we knew more. Um, but thank you for the, the insight that you've given us in your word about the fact that we all have an eternal destiny and that, that we can have the assurance of eternal life with you through your son, Jesus Christ. And I would pray that those of us who are followers of Christ you know, would not fear judgment that we would know that we've already passed from death into life. And for any who might be here today, you know, who've never t- taken that step of commitment of becoming a follower of Jesus, I would just pray that, you know, maybe even right now as we spend a couple moments in worship, or maybe, you know, tonight when they're lying in bed at some point, you know, that they would respond to your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.